Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. We're joining you live from the legendary TVNZ Beehive studio. I'm Jessica Much. I'm this Katie, Katie Bradford. Bradford. Thank you very much for I'm being back. with us. Back I'm from back your from a month in holiday. Europe. Yeah. It's a bit cold. Yeah. yeah, compared to Europe, but sure. I'm I feel back. like it's still too raw to talk about it. Um, the jealousy <laughs> is real. Um, but there's been baby on the brain this week. The Prime Minister has released her plans for how she's going to announce when she has. It does feel a bit like a royal baby. This is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect. I did actually accidentally call it the royal baby this morning. Did you cover a royal baby when you were in Europe? So you kind of, Jess is all prepped. She's ready to go for baby watch. I just think there's a lot of um, pressure on the Prime Minister to come out looking um, as poised (laughs) and as fresh as um, Kate Middleton did on the steps. And I don't think any of us envy her that. No. But she has said that she will come out on... as they leave the hospital, um, allow media and the public, therefore, to have photos of the baby. She'll answer a few questions before she heads home. And I guess that for for people sitting at home thinking, oh, why don't you leave the poor Prime Minister alone? I guess there's so much interest and fascination if you do it as you're leaving the hospital, it then allows for a little bit yeah, of privacy. Yeah, they're hoping then they'll do that, answer questions, tell us the name, why the name, so forth, and then be left alone for six weeks so they can go and have that time. You can imagine the last thing she's going to want to do in those six weeks is have to talk to people and, and do things. She needs time with her baby. I think everyone will respect that. I also think part of it is the interest from international media. You can imagine at that stand-up when they do come out of the hospital that there is going to be a lot of media interest in it there and they'll be hoping that essentially, I guess, feeds the beast and, and that time. And then, of course, Winston is Prime Minister. As mm. soon as she steps foot in the hospital, I think it is, when she's on her way to the hospital, Winston yeah. Peters becomes Prime Minister. I almost can Prime in my Minister. mind imagine this tag in, tag out. You're yeah. in, Winston, yeah. go they're for like, it. The taxi pulls up to like the entrance to Auckland Hospital yeah. and as soon as they're over the line, yeah. Winston Peters is now Prime Minister. So, and <laughs> we've also, we asked um, in our latest poll how people think Winston Peters will do as the Prime Minister. So let's have a look at that track. The Foreign Minister has been grounded, assigned the top job while the Prime Minister's on maternity leave. Look, it's no big deal. We're there to take care of business, that's what the country expects me to do and I will. In our latest poll we asked how people think he'll do. Almost a third think he'll do a good job as the acting Prime Minister. More than half think he'll do okay. And 11% think he'll do a bad job. The rest don't know. We asked the same question in February and got very similar results, showing people are pretty comfortable with the idea. I think that's a reflection of the fact they know it's not for long um, and maybe there's a view that he's mellowing with age. Oh, he'll bring a lot of class, experience. I think it'll be pretty straightforward for Winston. He's been around a long time. Jim Bolger would know. Don't forget Winston Peters was his Deputy Prime Minister too. Well, a lot of people have got mixed views on Winston, of course, and... uh, I have to say, when he worked with me as a coalition leader, that went very well. But of course, earlier I fired him as minister, so, you know, we've had our ups and downs. But Would you like to be a Prime Minister? Well, that's not in my mind at the moment. I'm just so happy to do what I'm doing now. Winston Peters won't be doing it alone. Ministers like Grant Robertson will be there to help with the heavy lifting. Mr Peters will be running the country day to day, but he won't be moving into the Prime Minister's office on the ninth floor of the Beehive. Winston Peters isn't traditionally a fan of polls. Well, I don't believe in your polls. You know what I think of them. 
But he did have a message for the 11% who think he'll do a bad job. I feel sorry for them. <laughs> he'll be hoping to feel this positive at the end of his six-week stint. So Winston Peters there, people are pretty okay with the idea. I mean, we, we asked that poll question twice, got pretty consistent results out of it. People think he'll do okay, he'll be fine. Yeah, I think people will realise that actually he's not going to have that much. It's not going to be that different. If it is only six weeks, he doesn't have all the power. He's not making decisions. He's not going to suddenly start changing policies and writing checks left, right and centre. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he'll scrap with us he, more, he but will, nobody yes. cares about that. No, it's, it'll be us. difficult for, for the media because, mm. yeah, and he's probably he'll probably do less, fewer media opportunities. That, and it'll be different in that sense. But he's mm. going to be at Cabinet. He can't ch- change any policies without going through Cabinet. The Prime mm. Minister will still be at the end of the phone. Jacinda Ardern will still be at the end of the phone. Yeah. And so I think it gives, it allows him his dream of being Prime Minister for, for more than just a few days at a time. What will be really interesting is watching how he comes into that first press conference, that first moment, whether there's that puffed up chest and whether you can almost see the twinkle in his eye of... Uh, being a lifelong ambition. Now, I mean, he won't he won't say that, of course, but a lot of MPs who come in here hold that hope and dream and glimmer on the horizon and he gets, he to, gets do to do it. it. And also in the House, he, he gets to not just be sort of, you know, acting Prime Minister or answering questions on behalf of the Prime Minister. He will be Prime Minister for, you know, a month of question time. So yeah. so that will be, I'm sure, something he's looking forward to as well. And I really interview, enjoyed interviewing um, Jim Bolger for um, that story there. The last time I think I interviewed Jim Bolger was for um, Nelson Mandela's funeral in South oh. Africa, which is interesting. I haven't seen him f- for a long time. And it's always quite fun gossiping with um, former prime ministers that way. He um, has a bit of a theme throughout, yeah, throughout this, this um, our, podcast. Our podcast. <laughs> but let's have a look at this um, historic track that um, may seem strangely familiar. Opposition MPs were in a buoyant mood when they arrived for caucus today. What do you think of the poll? Excellent. Good news. They're well ahead in the opinion polls, but many are privately worried by the personal popularity of Winston Peters. Why do you think that public support is so strong? Because those issues are very strong and they're very pertinent to New Zealand politics today. You're going to lead to a challenge on Mr Bolger's leadership of the National Party? Now you know and everybody else knows that I've always been entirely happy to be the MP for Tauranga and nothing's changed. Do you think you'd make a very good Prime Minister? Who's that? Me? You. Well, as I said, I've answered your question in the uh, answer I've just given. Would you like to be a Prime Minister? Well, that's not in my mind at the moment. I'm just so happy to do what I'm doing now. Government MPs too attended caucus with their own problems. Public support for the government is well down and Prime Minister David Longy's personal standing has plummeted. Feeling insecure, Prime Minister? Pardon? You feeling insecure this morning? Not at all. I'm going to talk to you after we come out of caucus. Despite that assurance, both David Longy and Nationals Jim Bolger now have question marks hanging over their leadership. So that was 1989, and I thought it was interesting looking at it and going, some of those the mannerisms and the way Winston Peters talks haven't hasn't changed. He's perhaps uh, he's stylized them a bit more. He's perfected them. He and, sounds less English though. He, in he, that one, yeah. he sounded very crisp, articulate. 
um, almost slightly British accent. 30 years younger. <laughs> and maybe and, that was the trend then, I don't know. But interesting, he's been, you know, he talked then about he, avoiding those questions about being Prime Minister, but, you know, that was 30 years ago and here we are. So, and Jim Bolger's back as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and speaking of Jim Bolger being back, this was, um, we waited on, on Tuesday, it was, uh, for... Um, uh, we were told there was an industrial relations announcement and then we got word that there was going to be someone leading this new group and we were trying to guess who it would be. Some, it yeah, bipartisan. So we thought, is it going to be John Key? Is it going to be Bill English? What's going on here? And then who popped up? Long time since I've been on this podium. Jim Bolger taking centre stage, the former National Prime Minister now leading a Labour government working group. There's extreme wealth at one end and, frankly, extreme poverty at another end. I don't find that a successful model. Mr Bolger was a former Minister of Labour and believes there needs to be a new way of working to ensure no one misses out. So he's to lead a working group of business people and unions that'll flesh out new fair pay agreements. This is one of the most significant changes that a government has proposed to uh, the industrial relations framework for many years. Uh, that Jim is exactly the right man to pull that team together. Well this is really just another step in going back to the 1970s. Fair pay agreements allow bosses and unions to work together to set minimum terms and conditions for all workers in that industry. The best example of this is the care and support worker settlement where everybody who's a care and support worker, no, no matter who their employer is, regardless of whether they are in a union or not, they now have a set of minimum terms and conditions. There were concerns that could lead to industry-wide strikes, so the government's banning them. There are other ways to deal with impasses and disagreements than just um, uh, industrial action. National says such agreements will drive up costs for businesses. There won't be an opportunity for individual businesses to employ people on their own terms uh, and it will be bad for employees just as much as it is for employers. This is one of a raft of changes the government is making to industrial relation laws. Employers have been highly critical of many of those changes. So in this case, Business New Zealand say while they do have concerns, they're pleased to be part of the working group and around the table. What we're going to endeavour to do is try to make it a balanced outcome for both parties. That's the trick. Labor's been promising to introduce fair pay agreements for many years, so why do they need yet another working group? What's absolutely vital to me is that we put something in place that can last well into the future. Yeah, that's right. And whatever form the agreements take, they won't be available until at least next year. OK, so another working group. Uh, I do wonder in this case uh, around the fair pay issue, Labor have long said that they wanted to introduce these fair pay agreements and they were going to do this. I couldn't help wondering on Tuesday why they need this working group to do it. I think the main reason is to sh to try and get businesses on board. They're copying a lot of flack for all this industrial relations change, the changes they're making, though, that those uh, changes to the EMA that are going through at the moment, ERA, um, uh, are, are causing them problems. And Ian Lees Galloway has long talked about wanting to work with business and I think that's why in this case this working group is, has been set up. And that's where Jim Bolger pops in I guess, he's that um, sock to the side, the other side if you like um, he's well known he's experienced and he can help out 
with that. So it's it's a smart move, even though it seems like there is a bit of a pile of reviews and working We're groups going, yeah. popping up now. And also, I, I mean, National have actually attacked the appointment of Jim Bolger by saying it's a return to the 1970s. It actually fits their narrative that they've got going on, that all of Labor's employment changes are going to return, are going to end up back in the 1970s and Jim Bolger. Oh, how there. quickly they turn. <laughs> Jim Bolger being there um, fits into that. And there has been a lot of, crit- lot of criticism from the left as well. I mean, Jim Bolger was there um, through the 1980s when it, where all those changes were made and, uh, and, and was seen as getting rid of a lot of those rights that workers did have. But it was interesting, his comments on, on Tuesday around the fact that he thinks people in the middle and the bottom are missing out. And so he, I do believe that he's taking his role on this group quite seriously. Uh, how these fair pay agreements are going to work will be, of course, what what's interesting, who will be affected, what industries will be affected. They're saying it's not actually nurses and teachers who are already highly unionised, it's perhaps other workers, more like cleaners and care and support workers who will benefit from these. But just another one of a raft of changes the government is making in that industrial relations area. So I guess from one review to another review um, that the government announced this week and that was um, looking at and, and some more developments in these meth houses, obviously the Gluckman report. So let's have a look at your track on that. The country's biggest landlord finally fronting up to the public. We're really frustrated at what's happened. We regret the way in which the goalposts have moved, but we're certainly those people who we have moved out of homes and we did not need to. We absolutely apologise to them for the disruption that's been caused to their lives. A week after the government revealed the standards it used to test homes for methamphetamine were flawed. The Housing New Zealand and other landlords used the only guidelines that were available to it. The Housing New Zealand boss admits about 300 homes were wrongly identified as contaminated. That means nearly 1,000 people were evicted. We would rather not have done that, absolutely. That process cost more than $100 million and while some people were rehoused, others were not. Many of the tenants were pursued for the clean-up costs, often through the Tenancy Tribunal. Now, Andrew McKenzie says they won't have to repay that money and some could be compensated. It'll certainly be in the order of $1 to $2 million. But state housing advocates say it needs to go further. Many of these families threw their bedding out, they threw clothes out because they were told there was contamination and they need to be compensated for that. And I think, I think just um, they need a payment for the, for the hurt that's been caused. No one will lose their job over the scandal. They all acted in good faith. Housing New Zealand hopes to have a couple of hundred homes clean and ready for people to move back into in the next two weeks. Right now, though, there are nearly 8,000 people on the state housing waiting list. And promising to take a more compassionate approach that includes not evicting people for drug use or other illegal behaviour. Not providing you with another home is not going to help you cope with that issue and have some stability and dignity in your life. That's got to be a good thing for, for the families who use the service. For now, the clean-up from this scandal continues. So for a couple of years now, a number of uh, journalists have been asking questions around this and um, it's, you know, Housing New Zealand are now saying they're coming out with this compassionate approach and they're going to change. And in fact, they changed at the end of last year about... um, about not evicting tenants and so forth. But this has caused a huge amount of harm. And Housing New Zealand say, look, those standards were the only ones we could 
we had to go on. But they knew, people knew that they weren't up to scratch. And, and they, they didn't ask Peter Gluckman to look they into didn't, it. No, and, and, they, the and, they, and they didn't. And it's not just Housing New Zealand fault here. It's the previous government. It's the Ministry of Health. It's others who, you know, work was slowly done on this, but not, nowhere near enough. And it has caused a lot of harm to people. What was that um, interview like with the, I mean, you've been waiting a long time. I've been trying for, for two it. years to talk to Andrew McKenzie so about was, this. what was that like? Were there any things that he said um, that you didn't include in the story that you thought were really interesting? He, yeah, he had been, by the time I talked to him, he'd been through um, every other media outlet, so he was very well practised on what he was saying. Yeah. But um, I think, I, I do believe him when he talks about wanting to take a more compassionate approach, and I think, if nothing else, what this whole scandal has, has led to is a wake-up call for Housing New Zealand about how they do deal with these people. I spoke to someone yesterday who didn't want to be interviewed on camera and quite rightly because of the situation he was in. But he was kicked out of his house because of meth levels that he insists. And I asked him the question, "Have you? did you smoke meth? Did you manufacture meth in your house? And he insists he didn't. But he, he was kicked out of his house. He was told to destroy all his possessions. And he did that, including for some reason photos of his family members who have now died. He said he's been left with nothing. He got put in transitional housing. He got beaten up by gang members. He said he's been to hell and back in the past two years and he still hasn't heard from Housing New Zealand about I said to him look have they called you since all this news came out have they called you to say hey look you're on the waiting list you're going to get a house soon you know where are you at and he said well I hope so but I haven't heard anything. I guess it's a lesson for organisations like Housing New Zealand to question 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 the status quo that's that's what um us as New Zealanders rely on them to do and not just accepting that's the only thing, just question and going up against to the grain. Why, yeah, and yeah. wonder why, you know. And, and why, And why, at a why, time, why? I mean, the state housing waiting list is now uh, just under 8,000. And when all this started a couple of years ago, it was around three or 4,000. Yeah. And it's so it, it's dramatic the number of people who's, and, and you might say, oh, well, it's 300 households who got kicked out. That's you know, 900,000 people. That's 900,000 people whose lives were turned up down, in some cases, who didn't do anything wrong. But it's also coming off that very, very long list as well. And that's, that's, I guess, part of the solution. The only thing I was thinking about, though, is now these houses have been left empty um, for months and and sometimes, you know, more than a year. And you think, right, you're going to have to have now people go in and they're going to have to fix up these houses clean them up, um, get them livable again. And you just think that not having someone living in a house is so damaging. So just all of those things now that... Although it's good news, it's going to take a while a for them too. to crank up and be livable again. Yeah, and they, one of the things um, when I did talk to Andrew McKenzie was that um, so $100 million is what they at the moment think was wasted on doing this. But some of that money was spent on then once they were in there doing what they thought needed to be done in terms of meth cleanup, they did actually put new carpet in or paint the walls and so forth. So some of these houses have essentially been spruced up as a result. Yeah, I guess so. so but, that, but maybe didn't need to be. forced to when maybe you should have been doing it for this house or this house yes. or this house. And that's yeah. why it's just a waste and that's why it's, it's so just, frustrating yeah, for people. Yeah, and, and they... Um, you know, and they don't actually know how much money it has cost. That's one of the things. Just this report that will go to Phil Twyford in, in the next six weeks. We'll look at all these issues, how many people were actually affected, how much money was spent, whether there should be compensation, how that's going to work out. Because you do straight compensation as essentially a, a remediation, like you paid back this much money, we will give that back to you. Or do you do it for um, emotional harm or loss of loss of having to pay private rents, for instance, or, whatever, or emer- pay back emergency housing, whatever you've had to do in that time that you would not have had to do otherwise and that so that bill could end up 
quite large for the government if it goes And then to you that. broaden it out and then it goes into the private sector as well because any time yeah. um, for lots of us, if you're going to um, buy a house or to um, sell a house, they say you need a, a report on it. You know, that's a few hundred dollars. So for, for landlords a, and people yeah. like that, it'll it's big money too. So it's a there's a huge flow I on I think there's a lot this. of stuff still to come on this around that, around yeah. um, private investors, private, you know, first home buyers mm. who don't who don't know. You know, when you buy, I don't know, when you first, well, when I first bought a house, I, was, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. You know, if someone says to you, you need to go get this report, you probably do. Yeah. And so, and I did a story last year with a young couple who did it who spent thousands of dollars and didn't need to. Yeah. And so that's that's a big ask on people and, and on investors and on others on how much money they've spent on this yeah. unnecessarily. So it is, it is I think, um, something that has had a big effect on this country. That, yeah, that a big story be, for a big story, yeah. recess week, that's for yeah. sure. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much Thank for <laughs> coming downstairs and doing this with us today. Um, it's great to have you with us on Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up talking about the stories that we've been covering on One News for the political team. It's available every Thursday evening on the One News Facebook page and check us out, out on your favourite podcasting app. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.